Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. My guest today is Courtney McDermott. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. And before we get to Courtney, here's a few announcements. One, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com, and there you'll find some stories that I've written, some stories that some of the guests have written. You can find photos of our guests, you can find links to their social media, you can find links to our social media. And by that, I'm talking Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on X, although I'm thinking of uh, just taking it off my phone altogether. I don't know. I'm just not into X anymore. I had been kind of like slacking off Twitter even a year ago, but it is what it is. Anyway, we have a Facebook page. I'd appreciate you following me there. And uh, find us on YouTube as well. Give us a follow. You can see all my videos that I did. And um, if you want to know about my comedy and what I do as a day job, quote unquote night job, it's funnymike.com. And there you'll see my resume. You'll see links to videos. And I have some videos posted there. There's a link to my dry bar comedy special, which is out there. And if you watch it on any platforms, please vote and say nice things. And if you follow us, on anything. If you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio or Spotify, wherever you listen to us, all I ask is that you please give us a good rating, a thumbs up, maybe say a few nice things because that boosts our presence there and helps more people find the show. So if you do that, I'd appreciate that. If you think you'd be right for the show or you know somebody who might be right for the show or maybe you want to just say good things to me or ask me some travel questions, anything, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's Travel Tales Podcast at gmail.com. All right, let's talk about Courtney McDermott. Courtney, and that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y, McDermott, no you. Although I told her and her publicist I had this great idea for a, a slogan for her business. Courtney, don't be fooled by the spelling. I'm all about you. Get it? Come on, I'm giving away comedy gold here. They didn't seem too impressed with it, but hey. You know, I gave it a shot. That's why I'm not in advertising. Anyway, Courtney uh, has led a pretty interesting life. And it's more interesting to me because we grew up, it turns out, uh, about, I don't know, about 10 miles from each other. And when I asked her uh, where she was from, off, uh, off mic, before we started, our first time doing this. This is, by the way, was our third attempt at doing this. This was the guest that I had in Florida. She was in Italy at the time at her house, and uh, I was at my mom's place, and her Wi-Fi was so weak, the signal kept cutting out, and so we had to scrap this. So I did this interview with Courtney. Uh, She was back in California, actually, but not in my neighborhood. She was up in Santa Barbara, but still, better Wi-Fi on both both places, and uh, we got a chance to do it. So anyway, in our first conversation, it learned, we, I learned that uh, she was from my neck of the woods. I asked her where she grew up. She said, south suburbs of Chicago. I said, you got to be kidding me. And yeah, we grew up about 10 miles from each other, although she's a bit younger. Um, but it was great. Talk about a small world. Anyway, 
she uh, did a year of college out at the London School of Economics. And from then, it was no looking back. She uh, met a guy there, an Italian guy, who whisked her away back to Italy. And uh, she lived in small town, northern Italy, for 20 years, for the last 20 years or so, and raised a daughter who is a teenager now. She later uh, left the corporate world to become uh, an author. She's a speaker and advisor and does a lot of corporate speeches. And she's all about self-development and business strategy, helping people focus and work on their goals and move ahead in life. She's written a couple books. One is Change Starts Within You, and another one, Give Yourself Permission. Be confident, be happy, be you. Here's my talk with Courtney McDermott. So, Courtney, here we are, attempt number three, and here I hope this are. works, and you look great, and you sound good, and uh, so we got that going for us. So far, so I'm going to knock on wood right here, because okay. we had some false we'll starts. This. Yeah. <laughs> and you are in a hotel in Santa Barbara now? That is right. Okay, because I blamed a lot of the problems on uh, basically my mom's Wi-Fi, which was horrible. <laughs> And the fact that we were going all the way, you were all the way in uh, Italy. And mm. now you're back here for, uh, is this business, pleasure, or both? Both. Okay. Do you have family here in California? I do. One of my sisters lives here. She lives in Sherman Oaks. Oh, okay. But yeah. Sherman Oaks is not Santa Barbara. So you're like no. living the high life. <laughs> exactly. I'm above her right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how long are you here for? Thanksgiving? Just Thanksgiving? Or? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Would you, when you come back here, you never lived in California, did or did you? No. Okay. So you were like a Chicagoan and a New Yorker. No, no New York either. Just Chicago. No New York. Oh, nope. okay. No. For, for some re- well, uh, for some reason, I thought you went out there for a little bit, but it was London you lived in. Yes, I lived also in London. I lived also in Toulouse in France, and then I live. And then I've been living for over 20 years in Italy. So, yeah. Right. So uh, Santa Barbara's got kind of that uh, Mediterranean coastal vibe, don't you think? Yeah. A little bit? It's, Give us a Okay. It's got a Thank coastal you. vibe. It's got a coastal vibe. It's great. I love it here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you come back to the U.S., is there something you want to do immediately? Like when you get off the plane, it's like, is there some kind of quirky American mm-hmm. thing that you can't do in Italy mm-hmm. that you miss? Yes, it's coffee shops, the kind of coffee shops that you, that we have here where you can sit and work and or read or whatever. That is not super common in Italy. In fact, I don't even know of one where I mean, I'm sure in some of the bigger cities where they might have a Starbucks or something, but it's not the same thing as these specialty <laughs> coffee shops, and there are such great ones in Santa Barbara. So, I'm actually looking forward to going to one later today. But uh, Italy has such great cafes and uh, such great coffee. They don't let you sit there and work or read a book or do they frown on that? They frown on that. And yeah, that culture, that side of the culture of coffee doesn't exist there. But it's very much a place where you go to meet people. You're allowed to go and chat with people. (laughs) But if you bust out your computer, (laughs) most of the coffee shops in Italy would be, would, that would be frowned upon. Yeah. Right. Uh, My favorite, uh, 
Italy culture clash concerning coffee was when I was there. I was in Bologna, and mm. I was with friends who lived there. And uh, we went and we had lunch, and it was this beautiful lunch. And at the after the lunch, I asked for they said, "Oh, coffee's oh yes, we're all going to have coffee." And I asked for a uh, a cappuccino, and the look and it was like the look on their face, this horror, you know, that like yeah. the music stopped, everybody turned and just went, oh, no, no, cappuccino, no, uh, too much milk, yeah. no. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I better have an espresso before I embarrass myself anymore. Here. <laughs> yeah, there are loads of rules around coffee consumption <laughs> in Italy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you an espresso expert now? I don't know that I would call myself an espresso expert, but... <laughs> I love making my own espresso. So it's sort of my ritual. I love getting up in the morning and going, you know, they call them the mocha. It's that little coffee pot thing. Bialetti is the main brand, but I love everything about it. I love, I love <laughs> unscrewing it. I love putting the, co- the water in, the coffee, hearing it come up. I love the sound of that. I love the smell of the coffee. I think I love all of that more than the coffee itself. But it's definitely my, my morning, my morning thing. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, how about uh, Mexi- Mexican food? Have you gotten your fill yet? Oh no, I haven't gotten my fill, and that is also <laughs> one of my favorite things about coming, especially to California. Love yeah, it. Yeah, that. Yeah. Whenever I asked uh, expats around the world, the number I said, "What do you miss? If you miss anything about America, what is it?" Usually, either one or two is Mexican food. Mm, yeah <laughs> that's it yeah because it's so hard to get it's yeah. so hard to get i've i've made that mistake abroad a number of times when mm. i've been jonesing and i've been gone i was like ah, oh, let me try this mexican restaurant in germany oh mm. ooh, is it bad mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man <laughs> so i've made that mistake a number of times yeah. so now i don't my rule is i don't get mexican food anywhere outside of america or mexico because <laughs> so, it's usually Fair. it's disappointing It's always disappointing. It is. It is. Um, So I know before, you know, we're going to pretend like we haven't had this discussion before, but if you can describe to everybody what you do, and we're going to talk about your new, your new book as well. So in the Mm -hmm. nutshell, we're in the elevator. So what do you do? That's the worst question. It's, it's, uh, that's (laughs) actually funny. (laughs) What do I do? What do I do? I do so many things, but I guess if you're talking about professionally, one of the main things that I do right now, my career is mostly focused around speaking right now and the writing. So I give a lot of talks around the world and all around human potential. And then I also write a lot about that too. So do you work mostly with, uh, people on a one-to-one basis or with companies, well, like all you know, like corporate stuff? Yeah, I hardly do any one-on-one work anymore. It's super niche. And I mostly go into corporations, universities, associations, and different groups, uh, even entrepreneurial groups that might bring me in to give talks around specific topics. So that's my that's the bulk of my work at the moment. Well, you say it's niche. And so if a corporation calls you, what are they what are they looking for? What do they want you to give their clients? Is it just motivation or is it focus or is it like certain p- specific kinds of work? What are you what are they asking for? Mm. Most of the time when I get called, it's funny, lots of times when I get called it's for strategy work. So I've done a lot of strategy work for corporations, but it morphs into a real fascination around human potential because we try to change things on the level of of maybe the problems 
a lot of times, but rather than going to that real root of where we start to make different decisions. So that's the whole human potential angle that I'm personally very intrigued by. And I think I think one of the reasons that I get called in so often from corporations and universities is because I also have a pretty solid background in the science behind change too. So we look at these concepts, not through the lens of, you know, stand in front of the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me, but actually (laughs) really understanding what are the mechanisms in your brain and your body that will allow for change. Because many times we want to change, but we don't we don't know how to affect that because we're not using these operating systems in the way that they were designed to be used. So if you don't have the, a kind of some basic fundamental knowledge of how your mind and your body work, and then you're going to have some difficult time. You'll, you'll be saying, I don't know why I just can't, I just can't seem to do it differently. And lots of times leaders, and especially the way our businesses are set up because they're set up as quarterly driven businesses, right? So they're by default um, propagating a lot of what is causing a lot of the malaise, a lot of the issues that we deal with and that we struggle with, maybe stress and anxiety and all of that. So going to the level of, oh, look, if you know more about how your brain operates, well, then you will not only, not only can you, but you will by default make different decisions. So do you think this, as someone who you were brought up in the Midwest and, you know, Mm -hmm. you and I grew up like, Mm -hmm. 10 miles from one another, weirdly enough. And then you went to London and then Italy. So Mm -hmm. do you think you're moving around uh, has given you perspective? Is it different in other countries? Do more corporations say in America need this, your help than say a European corporation or something? Is the culture different in those places when it comes to like change or focus? Mm. The corporate culture is, is pretty uniform across the board. I see if you look at smaller businesses, especially in Italy, they're already vastly different from France. And even in Italy, you get a huge variance and based on where you are geographically. Up north, they're very industrious. They're super hard workers. You know, people say, oh, they don't, they don't work. They work sometimes a lot more than even Americans work, but uh, it's, it's kind of the way and the style that they have around that. But I do see a lot of parallels across the board in, uh, in the corporate world. So, yeah. But, I, but to answer the first part of that question, definitely living abroad and having all these experiences. And I've, at this point, I've been living abroad for over half my life. And I think as well, learning different languages really opens you up to nonverbal communication. It allows you to understand what's happening between the lines, what people are really saying, because oftentimes what I see is there's, it's rare to meet people who don't have a little bit of a mismatch between what they're communicating verbally and what's actually going on in their being. So being able to read a lot of that I know has come from just who I am as a human, but also the experiences that I've had living abroad and living in different cultures where you have to figure out things without, without being able to fully understand the verbal for a while. I love the idea when you talk about the difference in the North and South of mm-hmm. Italy. Like one of the first times I went, I went, my best friend from high school got uh, married in Sicily his mm-hmm. wife's family was from Sicily. I mean, she was brought up in Chicago, but her parents were off the boat, you know. So mm-hmm. we were in Palermo and she had relatives from Northern Italy. And I would like, 
show them a dish. I go, hey, what is this called? And they would look at me like, I don't know, that's South shit. <laughs> that's Southern shit. We don't eat that up in, uh, you know, whatever, Milan or whatever. I was like, oh, I just, mm-hmm. I didn't know. And they yeah. would look at, they would, there's kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of what, ways in the US that maybe look down on the South yeah. or something like that. There's, that was heavy duty in Italy and I had no idea. And you're, yeah. you're kind of based up in the North, right? I am. I am. And even from region to region, I mean, where I live, they'll make fun of people from La Monde because of the way they talk and there's different dialects <laughs> and, and that'll only be, you know, 10 kilometers away or something. And they'll, they'll pick on them They're It's an interesting culture because there's a lot of division. Uh, and yet, and yet Italians take a lot of pride in being Italian, but they take even more pride in the region of Italy that they come from. So Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what's your um your region would be what you're not in uh you're north of venice right i'm in vicenza so yeah i am i'm north of venice and um yeah i'm northeast of venice so yeah it's a uh, it but it's very now where i am is closer to that culture than where i was before which was more a mountainous culture so it's interesting to see even the way that it's changed from where I was living, which was 30 minutes away from where I am living now. It's a totally different, yeah. <laughs> Just 30 minutes away. 30 minutes away. That's it's funny. totally different. Totally different. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the town you're in, I know you, you say it so fast and, you know, with such great pronunciation, but I can't spell it for me. What was the town you were living in? Though I, I'll spell the first part of it. It's Bassano de Grappa. <laughs> so okay. Bassano is B-A-S-S-A-N-O. And then it's del oh, Grappa. Bassano. Yeah. Grappa, like the drink. Like the drink. But I found out only recently that it's the name of the town is not from the drink. I thought it was. I thought it was the, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was actually quite, quite, yeah, sad about, Aww. no, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's actually a much better origin story, but yeah, it's like the drink. Okay. And the town you're in now? That is the town I'm in now. Before okay, that, I was so in. So where did you leave from? I was in Feltre. It was a small, okay. sm- much smaller mountain town. <laughs> F-E-L-T-R-E, Feltre. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That was the yeah. small town that you raised your daughter in and every- everything, right? You were living that's in? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so going from Chicago to there, mm-hmm. tell me, uh, give me some of the um, adjustments you had to do and how accepted were you as an outsider by the locals, you know, small Ooh. towns can be a little guarded against outsiders. Mm-hmm. So what did they think yeah. of you? Yeah, the mountain towns are not very welcoming. So I moved to a mountain town. <laughs> uh huh. And this is for your, because of your ex-husband, right? Yes, That's yes, where he yes. He was from there okay. and we met in London and then I lived in France for a little bit and then I moved to Italy and it was actually right after 9-11. I was one of the few people on a plane uh, not even a month after that, I was on a plane. I was October 5th is when I left to live permanently wow. in in Europe. And yeah, so it was actually, yeah, it's quite apocalyptic to see airports like that. I've seen it a couple of times and it's very interesting to see empty airports. It's it's, it's a mix it between weird? cool and frightening. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a it's cool, like an frightening. eerie feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah. So then I moved, I moved here. Uh, I moved there and they weren't very, they weren't extremely welcoming, but they are, yeah, it's a good, it's, 
they're good people. It just takes a little bit for them to warm up. And also I didn't speak the language when I moved there. So yeah, I couldn't, I could only say a handful of words and that wasn't very helpful. And I lived on this <laughs> windy road that was in the middle of nowhere. So I was completely isolated and, mm. you know, had to kind of walk into town. And then the funny thing was at the beginning, I didn't know the difference between dialect and Italian because I had never formally studied Italian. So when I was going around, I was learning dialect and I was learning the the Veneto dialect and speaking that thinking it was Italian. Now, then anyone who knew I was American was cracking up. And sometimes I still use it to kind of joke because they would never expect an American to be able to speak dialect, but it's a very different language. So, yeah. So when we say dialect, did that mean the... Um Basically, you learn it th- like school stuff, but not useful? Or how does that work? What do you mean by dialect? No. So there's the official Italian language. That's yeah. the official language of Italy. And in many regions, they don't speak Italian. So they speak oh, okay. they speak their local dialects. So oh, And from north to south, if they're speaking in what they call dialetto stretto, which means a tight dialect, they don't understand each other most words they won't be able to understand. So it's very it's fascinating because you can get a different dialect. You can get an entirely different dialect even 10 kilometers from where you are. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. so confusing. That doesn't yeah. help. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. It really doesn't. <laughs> Too many conquests. So did you take, yeah, so did you take lessons from the local people or just pick it up organically? Italian, I actually studied with my ex-husband's uncle. And so I used to ride my bicycle. I used to ride my bicycle through the countryside to get to his house. And he would, (laughs) he would speak to me. He spoke English, but he would speak to me only in Italian. And he would pull out these books and he would, you know, conjugate the verbs with me and he would do all these things. And then his wife was hilarious. She used to, she was a chain smoker and she used to come (laughs) and visit me at my home and she would light up and we had this tiny apartment at the time. We, you know, when we first lived together, we were in a tiny apartment and she would come in and she would light up cigarette after cigarette after cigarette. And I think I was her therapist because she would just oh. talk to me nonstop and I couldn't respond. I didn't, I didn't know how to respond <laughs> until about a couple months in. Then I started to, to learn a, Italian pretty well. But at the beginning, she would just come and she would just chain smoke and she would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I had no idea what she was saying, but I, I know she was also a great teacher. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you got to learn some, you got to learn the local language and then you got some lung cancer on top of it. So that yeah, was Yeah, nice. you know, two for one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Chain smoking in your tiny apartment. At least yeah. crack a window. That's all you could ask <laughs> at that point. So, I mean, you, it was funny. I think like they didn't accept it, even though you were marrying into a family, a local family that they, you think they would have warmed up, you know, the locals. There is. And there's, there's always a degree of, um, it's interesting because Italians love Americans. They love us. They think we are, they think we are amazing. They're not like the French, you know, when I lived in France. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a different vibe. Yeah. yeah, They used to actually compliment me and say I was so (laughs) un-American and that was this (laughs) ultimate compliment for them. Uh, And especially when I would speak French, they'd say, you're not American, you know, you're, you can't be American. So they were always surprised by that. But um, there is a, a bit of diffidence, I think, uh, in the north. There's always a little bit of on guard uh, there. But 
No, in a lot of ways, they were also, I mean, they were definitely kind. It was just a question of outsider, foreigner, and at the same time, there's so much intrigue. So they're very intrigued by the fact that you're American and they want to they want to know you. It's a little bit like a little kid who might come up right. and be, you know, I don't know if I can trust this, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to go for it anyway, because you look interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I think a lot of that comes from the the diaspora, you know, that there's so many Italians living in America mm-hmm. and they all have at least one relative here somewhere, mm-hmm. it seems, you know, oh, my cousin lives in New York or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that's not as common in France, I don't think. So, I mean, and mm-hmm. our cultures are pretty entwined. I mean, <laughs> there's so much, for better or for worse, they are mm-hmm. really kind of entwined. Um, was there something about it that you, when you went there, um, was it exciting or were you hesitant or were you fearful? I mean, looking back, we were different people, mm. you know, 23 years ago, I was a different person. I mean, now I'm much more, I mean, at ease with living in a foreign country there. I think I would have been, you know, especially right out of college, I would have been pretty scared. Were you, were you scared? I know. I mean, by that time you had been, you'd been a few places. I mean. Yeah, I, I wasn't scared. At the beginning, I definitely struggled with the aloneness of it because I was out in the middle of nowhere and I wasn't this, even the, the closest town was a super tiny town, you know, where it's not like you would, again, go sit in the coffee shop and, and write your next right. book. So, yeah, so I was, I did struggle at first with that set, that. And then, you know, another thing that you struggle with that expats don't often talk about, but I found is very common amongst all expats is this sense after a while that you don't belong there, but you also don't belong back in your country of origin. And then finding right. where do you belong? And if you're lucky enough, and in my case, I was, you find that you belong in yourself. You you find that your home is there and all these other places then do become your home. And I think sometimes you just feel like the outsider. And especially if you have problems with the language, I know a lot of expats I see, they either don't speak the language or they feel really uncomfortable speaking the language, maybe because of their accent. And that definitely creates a divide for a lot of expats that that live there but never feel like they're of there. And in my case, I was also lucky in that regard in that languages have always been, I I would say, kind of come fairly easily, especially the accents and the local localisms and all of that. And I have a great fascination for being able to communicate, really. And that's that transcends language. But yeah, so that that was helpful. That was very helpful. (laughs) Yeah, I've talked talked to a lot of uh, expats on here and, and a lot of them are say the same thing you say in terms of like, no matter how long they've been there, no matter how ingrained they are in the culture, even, you know, whether it's through work or their spouse or whoever it is, um, there was always going to be a part of them that, that lets them know that they're not one of them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That you're, you, you're welcome, but you're still not one of us. You know, mm-hmm. could you, you could live there 50 years and you're like, well, you're still an outsider for, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's subtle, even if it's not said out loud, there's something will come up and like, that'll remind you that, yeah, you're, you're still an outsider. Mm-hmm. You're, still, mm-hmm. you're still an outsider. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I know you, your daughter's what, 14 now? Yeah. And she wants to go to high school here mm-hmm. and I'm trying to talk you out of it. 
I'm trying to talk myself <laughs> and her out of it. I'm with you 100%. Talk, can you talk to her? Okay. I don't think she listens. I would say, yeah. yeah. I would tell her to like you know, do the high school there, and then if she wants to go to university here, do that. That yeah, seems I've like a fair trade, right? I've talked to her about that. She's not. She's Aries. I told you this. She's Aries. She, there's no listening. When you're Aries, you don't. You don't listen. You can't. It's. It's. There's a part of your brain that's actually deactivated at birth. Yeah. It's like no. I it's think it's my more life. of the. Uh, yeah, I think it's more of the teenager of the not listening part. <laughs> it's but both. Not so much the. Yeah. It's both. <laughs> she has not been listening to me since she was two. So well, since the oh, time okay. that she could under <laughs> like when I knew she could understand what I was saying, she didn't listen. So. <laughs> yeah. So when you got there, mm-hmm. now I mean you're coming out. You know, you're you went to school. You're not someone who just wanted to be. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but you didn't want to be a housewife. You wanted to work, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so how do you do that from a small town? And at this point, early two thousands, working remotely is not as easy as it mm-hmm. is now. So, mm-hmm. what did you do for work? And uh, you know, how did you survive? You know, until your daughter was born. Yeah, that's so this there's so many funny stories about work because I definitely wanted to work and when I first got there I I I just decided well I guess I'll teach because around a lot of people wanted to learn English and it was kind of the quick go to and I was teaching English for a while but then I really really wanted to get into corporate and I remember going around to these different companies because there's a lot of big companies and a lot of international companies about They were about 30, 40 kilometers from where I was living. And I remember bringing old fashioned CVs, you know, to these companies and presenting myself and trying to get in. And I, and all of them were saying, you know, you're overqualified in terms of, in terms of education, but you have, you have no, you have absolutely no experience. So like, we basically don't want to hire you. And I remember at one (laughs) of the interviews, I told the woman, this Italian woman who was interviewing me, I said, and I said it in Italian. I said, I'll come and I will come and wash your toilets. <laughs> and she said, uh, she looked at me completely serious and she said, We already have someone for that position. And <laughs> and just with this like glaring sort of, you're not, you know, this you're whatever this is, it's not welcome here. So I remember leaving that interview and thinking, okay, well, I'm just gonna keep knocking. And I went all around and I eventually, well, it was funny, I I had a couple of proposals come in at the same time. And one of the owners of this small company, he thought I was going to accept his proposal and actually popped a bottle of champagne and had the whole team join that I was going to come and work there. Um, And at the time it was as his assistant. And I, and I really didn't want to do that job, but I figured I got to get in somewhere. So I had kind of said, you know, I, I think I had said that I was going to, accept it probably. But at the same time, this other proposal came in from Fila, you know, the outdoor, the, the sporting company. And, um, and so, yeah, it's like the one, yeah, kind of forget about that one, but I decided to go there instead. And then that guy got so angry. He actually told me off that, you know, he popped a bottle of champagne, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. But anyway, uh, I had a whole conversation with him and years later, he actually came back and said, Oh, you really should have joined When I did see him, he was you should have joined my company. You're so great and all this stuff. It was really funny because he told me off at the time. But I had the the original company that I had had that interview with that woman was the North Face. And she came back to me after I'd been at Fila for a few months and said, will you come and work at the North Face? And I said, no, because I I was already working at Fila. So 
Then the general manager got wind of me somehow, and he called me in and asked if I would if I would come and work for them. And long story short, I did. And then I sort of rose through the ranks there and went from an entry-level position into being part of the executive management team over, uh, I think, about four years. And so, and then that just changed, obviously, everything in the ways that uh, I was working in internationally and I was just traveling all over and representing different associations and things. And so I, I had a lot, I ended up having a lot of corporate experience, but yeah, you just never know. You got to throw yourself in there and uh, persist, I guess. Yeah. Were you targeting mostly like clothes and fashion brands? There? I guess that's that's a big deal in uh, Italy, but <laughs> yeah. They, so there is. There's a lot of clothing lines and yeah, fashion, and then shoes are a big deal in the north of Italy. So I was just going. I tell you the truth is, I was the the other company was an import export, so I didn't care where I was working. I just wanted to get some experience working for companies. And I don't even know at the time why I know now, but at the time it wasn't doesn't really make sense why that was specifically what I wanted to do. But it did. It does make a lot of sense looking back. <laughs> What's the difference? I know we talked earlier about corporate life there versus here or something. But is is there something in working in the companies uh, in Europe that are different here? I mean, in terms of like, I would hope you get more uh, vacation time. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, loads. And a lot of things. What are the main differences? Yeah, well, in Italy, they have this thing called contratto indeterminato, which means they basically cannot fire you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, it's almost impossible <laughs> to fire you. <laughs> and that means you could be the biggest, you know, like you could yeah. really kind of like really, really pull the cord on that one. And it's interesting because actually when that woman did call me back from the North, she, she was offering me this contrato indeterminato. And I just said, I'm not interested, you know, and she couldn't believe that because most people, if they're getting it right away, there's a trial period and then they put you on this kind of contract if you, if you pass that trial period. But I always said, I didn't, I didn't care about that because if you want to get rid of me, it's the same as me wanting to get out of here. See ya. You know what I mean? That's my kind of take on it. And also maternity leave was amazing because I not only didn't pay for anything, but my company, because I was a, I was a manager at that point, I had part access to this fund. I was making money off of my daughter. I mean, every day that I was in the hospital, I was getting loads of cash and I just thought, this is really incredible. My sister at the time was still paying off her maternity three years later. And here I am, you know, my company. And also you have nine months, is it nine months? No, oh, six months mandatory around the birth of the child that you have to take off work. It might've been mm-hmm. five and they will not let you work. So that was really funny because I did work and my company should not have allowed that, but I was even traveling with her about a month after she was born. So that was very American of me. Everyone thought that was incredibly yeah. American of me. <laughs> because, yeah, because you get restless and also you're afraid, oh, somebody else is going to take my job <laughs> if I stay out too long. Well, my boss made that abundantly clear. No, I'm joking, kind of. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, all those things sound great and they are great. But on the flip side of it, um, and I've heard this, and this is a problem in, in a lot of uh, Western Europe and what they say, older cultures, the problem is like as beautiful as Italy and Portugal and Spain and France are, um, the economies really haven't 
mm-hmm. gone in the last 30, 40 years. I mean, they're really stagnating mm-hmm. and unemployment's mm-hmm. high. Young people are leaving because there's just no work. Yeah. And like you said, people don't get fired. They also don't retire. They just, <laughs> if they're not going to get fired, they're just hanging out. So, yeah. I mean, these, these old people are not, these boomers are still hanging on to these jobs mm-hmm. and there's no new work. So yeah. uh, they eventually they either come here, they go to London, they go to Germany or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. there's just not a lot of work. So have you seen that? Uh, yeah, they even, I mean, mm-hmm. they even passed a bill recently in Italy where they're trying to get their talent back because of the fact that so much yeah. of their talent leaves their country. And this is a, this isn't a recent phenomenon. I mean, it's, I mean, you go back to the times of Enrico Fermi and well before that, you know, the, the, yeah. the people doing really genius work kind of are forced to leave the country. The country is very fascinating because it breeds innovation. It's the country, I would say in the world in every, almost every industry. I mean, you look at food, you look at fashion, you look at cars, you look at um, wines, you look at even apparel, and you will even find lots of smaller businesses. I've been surprised by this. Businesses that are world leaders in their sector, like like packaging, you know, mm-hmm. and it'll be Italy. So you find this immense amount of innovation, but a total inability to capitalize upon it. And that's their lack of organization, which is also what creates innovation. So it's a catch-22. That that country is a living, breathing paradox. Yeah. Yeah. It's a brain drain, you know? So that's, you know, they they hit this wall. Yeah, I had friends in uh, Madrid, you know, they born and raised there. They didn't want to leave, but eventually they got to a certain level and they're like, there's no work here. I mean, these old Mm -hmm. guys aren't leaving. Mm -hmm. And if they wanted to move up, uh, they had to leave. So they eventually they moved to, uh, to London, which they yeah. didn't want to, but they were just like, we got to leave, man. <laughs> it's, yeah. So it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I'd find, uh, you know, I think I read somewhere that in, in Italy, like of their top fortune 500 companies, only a handful were even started after the war. Mm-hmm. You know, since 1945, their mm-hmm. biggest company, you know, Fiat or whatever, all these things were are much older. They're mm-hmm. like a hundred year old or more companies, mm-hmm. and there's a handful of them. And most of them were like fashion houses, like Dolce mm-hmm. and Gabbana or something like that. But it, you just look at it and go, boy, they didn't really latch onto like whether it's tech or mm-hmm. a new innovation. It's just not there. Um, so it's really tough. Uh, you know, it's like where's the new? There's new ideas, but it's not like you said. I guess they're leaving you know, mm. to make it, which is mm. sad. So they they kind of like, you know, tourism is a major thing. And you see that, oh, they're really kind of selling their past, you know, these things they've given the world, architecture, food, of course, uh, culture and things. But boy, the, you know, you can't live off the past too long. I guess you can. Greece is still trying. You know, Greece has this problem as well. Mm-hmm. Um they're beautiful and I found they're great places to retire to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you're going there looking for work, it's a tough thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so expats, I mean, a lot of them are making their money online mm-hmm. rather than nobody's not going to Italy and it's like, cause I hear the jobs are everywhere. You know, they're not, <laughs> it's not really, ooh, ooh, that's tough. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you see it going? And do you see things changing or is there like a new generation kind of like mm-hmm. want to change things? Well, the only constant is change, right? So it is going to yeah. change. It is changing all the time. And what I'm seeing more and more of is the the younger 
generations just really, and I don't see this just in the US, but the almost anger about the way our systems are set up and this refusal to take part in a lot of it. So I see that changing the face of how we do business. Plus, obviously, everything that went down with this this COVID stuff is um, has changed things immensely. So you see a lot more people working from home or doing kind of part-time in the office, part-time at home. So you're seeing a lot of changes, but also as a result of that, you're seeing a lot of people not wanting to to be in that the way that it's been run up until now. So a lot of people have either left their jobs or they're still on unemployment because they can be because the Italian government sort of is still allowing that. And so we're definitely going to see huge changes. What those are going to look like, I don't know, but we're already seeing and there, you know, there's been so much change and there will continue to be. So I believe, yeah. Yeah. Well, we always get these ads online and everything about uh, you buy a house for a dollar in a little mountain town in Italy, and the deal is you have to fix it up and start a business there, mm. you know, and, and there's always those, and then people do it and they find out there's a lot of red tape involved and, and building and doing construction there is not so easy, yeah. uh, especially in little mountain towns. Mm-hmm. So it sounds great on paper, but uh, have, do you see these little towns? Um and a lot of people, like you said, jobs are scarce and young people don't want to live in them. So there's a lot of old people in these little villages that uh, mm-hmm. they're worried about these towns dying. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see that? I mean, around you up there? Yeah, many of them have. And even if I look at where I was before, they had a university there. And then as soon as the university was gone, the town started changing so much. And you just see almost like going from color to black and white, you know, and that that's a real phenomenon there for sure. But at the same time, again, looking back at these last couple of years, a lot of people intentionally distance themselves from the bigger cities and they're still, again, not buying into the way it's always been done. So. So in your little town, I, one of the first shows I did when the world shut down and during COVID and uh, in March of 2020, I talked to my friend in Bologna and lockdown was, you know, as you saw in, in Italian cities, heavy duty. You know, she couldn't leave like within a block radius of her, mm-hmm. you know, apartment. Right. Um, what was it like in small town Italy? How did it go down there? What were you doing? Well, that's a funny story. So right before our, right before the country got locked down, I was actually set to leave in a few days for, I was supposed to be going to Colombia. I was supposed to be giving a talk there to a thousand women. My book, my first book had just been translated into Spanish. Right before that, I had signed the papers on my new apartment. I was fully in the process of getting separated. I was supposed to come straight back from Colombia after only a couple of days to sign my divorce papers in court. And instead what happened was, oh, now we're going to lock the country down and you're not going anywhere. You're not moving into your new apartment. You're not signing divorce papers because the courts are all closed and nobody's working and you're moving back in with your ex-husband in a time when you're not allowed to go 100 meters from your house. 
And of course, every single day I was up in the hills, I was walking, I thought, you know, if they give me a ticket or they come and arrest me, fine, but I need to get outside. And so I was up in the hills. Lots of times I might have been, you know, calling, doing work calls up there. I just was like, I am not, I'm not buying in. I'm going rogue. And so I was, yeah, I was rogue up there in the mountains all day. So it was a very, very curious time for me, full of, uh, gifts that I wouldn't have gotten had I had I been allowed to proceed according to plan. I always think that's the way, you know, if it doesn't go according to plan, there's some maybe painful gifts. There were lots of painful gifts in that time, but there were gifts. They were gifts. And so, yeah, so that's how that in a tiny mountain town, though, most people were, even people were reporting people. So it was a little Gestapo, you know, it was like uh, people were reporting people who were leaving, who were going uh, further away from their house, even if they had dogs or something like that, they were reporting that. So it was mm. very, it was a very, I think, psychologically very traumatic time for everybody. And, and in a small town where you did have a lot of not that it necessarily wouldn't transcend to some of the bigger towns, but it was pretty intense time. And, um, and definitely being quote unquote locked. I mean, you know, we weren't really locked in our house, but being stuck in the house in that moment of transition was also really curious and fascinating. So Mm. yeah, it was pretty intense for me personally. And I think for everybody for different reasons, but I am very grateful for that time too. So taught me a lot. And were you, were you homeschooling your your daughter and giving they, her lessons and all the? They actually brought school online pretty quickly, so she was doing her lessons mostly on the computer, which I think as well for this generation was something a very we we went through definitely the most interesting social experiment of our time, maybe of all time, with that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it'd been interesting to see if all this went down without the internet. Mm-hmm. And how that would have affected the world, you know, because it did in the past, you know, there was a flu mm-hmm. epidemic, you know, 100 years ago and everything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it was an odd moment that we all went through. And mm-hmm. it's still going on. But I mean, we learned a lot about ourselves and our neighbors, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and how people react in times of uh, crisis. And has this affected your work? I mean, in terms of like, speaking and or in corporate life have they changed their thinking since then well not so much my thinking but for sure in that time i was doing everything on online and i really missed getting together in person so i was super happy right when they lifted everything actually i went straight to miami to give a talk for 50 plus chambers of commerce actually in the US and that was right after it lifted and it, that was a really funny story i write about it in my second book because my i found out my passport was actually expired i think less than 48 hours before the trip. And that's a a fascinating story. I'm not going to tell it here because that's a really good one if you do get it. But uh, if you do get the book, but... What um, do you mean? Okay, I'll tell it Okay, you give us a teaser. Fine, I'll tell it if you want. This is what we do. It's literally tales. It's literally stories is what we want. I just didn't know if you wanted to get into the full story. But it's a pretty cool story because I found out it was expired and my brain kind of quickly raced to all the ways that I... um, that I could figure this out or go somewhere, but it was impossible because I was living in a small town and yeah, tell me. Well, no, did you, was this, now do you have two passports? Is this your American passport or your Italian one? I do have two, but you, 
technically are not allowed to travel to the U.S. as a U.S. citizen without a valid U.S. passport. Oh, okay. Yeah, because even if you do the ESTA on your Italian passport, you're still coming in as an American. And actually, when I I knew this going to the airport, I knew that was the rule. But something in me was saying, like, go to the airport anyway. And I went and the, the woman that was there representing the airline, she told me, no, you, you can't fly. You can't fly on a, an expired U.S. passport. And I said, mm. well, I have my Italian passport. Is there no way? And she said, no, I'm sorry. You, you know, and I, and I said, well, could you just see if, I don't know, is there anyone else you could ask and supervisor, whatever. And I wasn't anxious about it at all, but because something was in me telling me to go there. And so when she left, she said, okay, you know, she looked kind of frustrated with me, but then she left and, and she went somewhere, who knows where. And I, as she was away, I just remember, I don't know if I could call, yeah, I was praying. I was basically in the past, I would have been praying. I would have been praying for, I would have been praying for a specific outcome. Like I would have been praying to be able to go. But this time I was actually praying to be at total peace if she, no matter what, like if she came back and told me I could go on or, or I had to go back home. And I remember when she came back, I was so filled with peace. Like I truly didn't care. I mean, if she had sent me, if she said like, no, now you're going into a detention center and you're going to stay here for a week. I think I was still would have right. been fine. I was, I was so at peace. And she came back and she said, do you have any other documentation that shows that you're a current U.S. citizen, like that I could take a picture of. And I pull out my license, which is also expired. And I'm like, damn it, you know, and then, and then I pull <laughs> I have out a library card, I have, uh, yeah, I have a Walmart, I, a Costco. Well, Costco this is card. the crazy thing. I pull out this dilapidated piece of paper from the TSA with my known traveler's number. And she goes, I, uh. think, I think this might work. And she leaves and she goes back with my my passport and my and my license both expired in this paper and she comes back and she says yeah uh you know i've spoken to the head office and you can get on this flight and <laughs> and then there were all these other things i had another in in france in the same i had another issue and i thought they're sending me back and when i got to to customs in the us i didn't even show my italian passport i showed my american passport and the customs officer tried to put it through the the machine. He said, something, something's off. And I don't know how this happened. I really don't because he left. He left his cubicle and he said, wait here, ma'am. And I'm like, oh, sure. this is the this is the point where they're going to send me back to Italy. And he comes back and I swear to you, I, I don't know how this was possible. He comes back and he says, there was, I don't know, there was some sort of issue trying to putting it through, trying to put it through, but it's fine and welcome home. And just lets me through. And I'm thinking, and I didn't mention anything about it being expired or anything. I just didn't say a word. I just sat there in my peace place and I was like, whatever happens, happens. Oh. And it was amazing because I ended up, yeah, not having, I ended up have, being able to get through and it wasn't an issue. So, so did you, what was the process of getting a new one? Did you get one while you were here? Did oh, that's so funny that you asked that because when I got in and I was actually, I went to Miami, but then I went to LA and I was thinking, oh, I'll just get an expedited one. I'll figure it out. And you couldn't because everyone was trying to get their passports renewed after COVID. Yeah, it was back. It was backed up. Every, you everything could was backed not up. get an appointment anywhere. I couldn't go anywhere to get an appointment. So I actually had, I, I headed back to Italy on my Italian passport and I got an appointment at the embassy in Milan and I did it there after I got back. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But you got back. I did. I got there and back. <laughs> well, so. it's good. See, now, I mean, with experience, though, I, probably 20 years ago, you would have been freaking out and crying 
Exactly. In the place. And, and now you look at it and go, okay, what's the worst? You have to really look at things and go, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to miss this meeting, mm-hmm. but they'll just send me home and I'll just deal with it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then you mm-hmm. tell them, you call them up and you go and, hey, they, sorry, they wouldn't let me in. <laughs> I yeah. can't do the thing. Yeah. And yeah. then you go, then you go have a uh, an espresso somewhere. Exactly. You know, and they have a glass of wine and think about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Let me think about it's it. It's what we really. learn with age. It's what we learn, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of things stink about getting older, but perspective is one of those things that yeah. is good. I think is everything's great about getting older. And I love, I actually love getting older like this because I think a lot of people get older and they don't catch that point that it's just a happening and it's all just a happening and you can kind of enjoy all of it, even you know, the sky is the sky is not falling. And even if it were, wouldn't that be kind of interesting? I don't know. The whole thing becomes yeah. very curious. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, tell us the name of the book, too, again, just so and where can people find it? So my second book is called Give Yourself Permission. And that is available wherever books are sold pretty much. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple. I'm I, my intention was to come out with the audio version before the year is up. I'm not sure if that's still going to happen, but it'll be coming out soon. But you can get paperback, hardcover. There's an extended one with some extra pages for journaling if you want. But uh, yeah, it's actually, that book's been doing really fabulously. And then the first book as well, which came out back in 2017, that's called Change Starts Within You. It's really shocked that that title had never been taken. But anyway, um, <laughs> there it is. Those are the two books. They are available everywhere. So yeah. And we'll have links to uh, the sites on our site uh, with the story when this comes out with the episode. But uh, did you read it yourself on the audiobook? I will be reading it myself. That's why it's taking longer than than planned. Oh, <laughs> as soon as my travels calm never, down. Is it weird reading it in your own? Well, I guess, I mean, you wrote it out of your head. It's not like you're narrating a, somebody else's book. But right. still, is it uh, when you're reading it? Does it does some things come off and going ah? I wish I would have written that differently now that I'm saying it out loud. Well, that's actually my plan is to read this and change real time if there's something that, you know, I can add. I I might add. Mm. I don't know. I'm not going to censor myself. I'm not going to force myself to do it in a certain way. And I think that's also going to make it interesting because I always say about books, it's just a picture of, it's a snapshot of your consciousness in that moment, right? So, there's so much that's great in that. But, you know, someone wrote in, we've had hundreds of five-star reviews since it came out this summer. And one, and we've had a lot of people writing in talking about the ways that it's changed their lives. But I hadn't, I hadn't had any other, it was interesting because, yeah, I mean, not that I've read through all the reviews yet, but I, there was one guy who sent a comment somehow directly got to me. I don't even know how, but it said something like, I'm not sure I agree with everything, but it was a damn good book. And I wrote him back and said, I don't agree with everything. I do not agree with everything I wrote in that book. <laughs> but at the time I did, at the time I did. No, but it's a, it, I think it's a, a really great start. I think both of them are really great starting points if you find yourself in a place in life where, at least for me, many times I found myself in this place where it was like, this can't be all that there is. <laughs> and so it's opening up to more potential for you and also deciding to maybe rewrite things in a way that's more compelling or more aligned with who you are choosing to become. Oh, that sounds great. Well, now I'm gonna uh, we're gonna do a speed round of all travel stuff. Okay. Now, because I because I uh, consider you a European travel expert at this point. Oh, geez. Where well, does someone who lives? 
I know already. Oh, no. Where does someone who lives in a picturesque mountain town like yourself in Italy, where a lot of people would dream of uh, traveling to for vacation, where do you go on vacation? Are there certain countries out there that you love? Like, oh, my God, let's go there for a week. Whether it's uh, tell me, where would you go? Where do you where were your favorite? (laughs) Well, other than here. I do. I do love traveling to to America. I really do. I love traveling to America. My favorite places to travel in Europe. I love Spain. This last the last couple of years I've been in Spain a lot. It's been kind of my favorite place to to go. Uh I a love a certain South. region? A certain region? I typically go to Ibiza or, and I know that sounds really party, but it's not the way I experience it at all. It's actually a very regenerative island if that's what you're looking for. I would not go in summertime. It's an off-season place to, to visit, but it's beautiful. It's it's a paradise and it's right by me. I can get it, I can get there in two hours, so it's really great. Um, I've heard great things about Minorca. I'm planning on going there. Um, I've spent some time in also smaller coastal towns like Sitges, which is a place that most people don't hear about, but uh, it's uh, also another really interesting creative hub. Um, I I enjoy also all of um, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the name where. Um, Places like Malaga, they're all in the same uh, region. I'm trying to remember the name. Oh, is, is that the Costa del Sol? No. no. Is that the, uh, mm, they like are, Sevilla and all that? Uh, yeah. Like Malaga, Sevilla, Mallorca, or uh, Marbella and all that? They're all, yeah, they're all part of, mm, gosh, yeah. Andalusia? Yeah, Andalusia, bravissimo. Si, hey. they're all there. Yeah, exactly. Woo. I love all of the, like so much of that. I love that whole area. I also am a huge fan of the south of France. I get mm-hmm. a lot to both the southeast and the southwest. I love I love the south of France. Um, I yeah, those are kind Not of all- my main. Those are my main go tos. I go to a lot of other places, but those are my main go tos if I want to just kind of yeah yeah. You sound like a beachy person. So you're not like a you're not a snow person. You're not going north. You're not going skiing up in the no. And one of no one of my friends is trying to convince me to come to Iceland around Christmas time, and I'm like, Mama can't do that. Mama, (laughs) Mama does not do. That's a summer place for you. That's a summer place. I don't even know if that's a summer place. (laughs) Anyway, I might still go. She's really talking me into it, and she's she's very convincing. So we'll see. It's on my list for Mm -hmm. sure. I Mm -hmm. still haven't been. I mean, that's one of my. Yeah. Thirty dozen bucket list places I, I got to get going to. Um, where have, have you never been? That is your dream place. Where do you want to go? I really, if really want to go to Costa Rica, and I still haven't been. Yeah, to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. It's beautiful. You'd love it. Yeah, I'm sure I would. Yeah, and it suits your weather needs. Yeah, my weather requirements. Yeah, exactly. It does. My daughter yeah, talking, yeah. She wants to go to London around New Year's, and I said I can't. I I can't do London in, in New Year's time. I'm like, we're gonna have to go back when it's warmer. She's really upset about that. Yeah, and I'm like, we'll go to Ibiza or we'll go to Gozo, which is also a really great island. I just discovered. I mean, I I had just visited finally after a long time of wanting to. It's great there too. So, but she's not into it. She's well, not in, into mama taking her to an island, but she's she's gonna have to suck it up. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. So you haven't did you haven't done much of um, 
and the whole time we were there, uh, like going to Africa, say, or Middle East or anything like that, or Morocco or places like that? Yeah, I have been. I have been. And they're all fascinating. I love them. They're just not the ones that I would, that I go back to, that I go back to frequently. But I also have not explored mm. Africa as much as I'd like to. And I had an invitation actually to come to South Africa to speak this past year and I wanted to go, but it conflicted with something else. And I, I really want to go there too. Um, yeah, but my, I, I like to stay also a little closer. I don't, I don't necessarily like a lot of travel if I can avoid it. So I try to get to clo- stay closer to home. Right. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the craziest thing you've eaten in another country? Oh man. That you were like, I can't believe I'm eating this. Oh man. Craziest thing I've eaten. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so not, I know you've got some really great stories on here. I've heard some of them. I'm so not that adventurous. <laughs> I really am not. I am like, gosh, I, okay. I'm going to answer this in a way that, that is probably whatever. When I was living in the South of France, <laughs> I was told that the smellier the cheese is the better. So I actually went for like the smelliest possible cheese. It was the most awful experience. And by the time, and I was actually dating my husband at the time. And he told me when he smelled it, he's like, this is disgusting. You cannot ingest this. And I was like, no, 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 no. They all say that if it's really smelly, it's great. And, And he was really strongly advising me not to. So when I stuck it in my mouth and I looked like I was about to gag, I had to decide whether I was going to stuff it down or give him the satisfaction of being completely right. And I had to go with the latter. So yeah. So I'm not that adventurous. But the one time I was, I was not paid off. So there you go. How about how about things like and so no food poisoning anywhere? Uh anything like that? I had food poisoning. Mm -hmm. I had food poisoning in where was I in Africa? Uh, which we actually shouldn't be even considered Africa, but Sharm El Sheikh, I had I had some food poisoning. Okay, there. yeah, that's yeah. Com- Egypt uh, is very common. People, I hear that story a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you a diver? Is that why you went there? I still haven't been. No, I won a prize. I won a prize, and the the prize was a trip there. I'm not kidding. I mean, and they, and they have an expression in Italian. They say it, the, the literal translation for it is that you have a big butt. That means you're lucky. You have a big butt. <laughs> So everyone kept saying I had a big butt. And I was like, actually, my butt's pretty small, but like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have Depends a big on butt. the culture, whether that's a compliment or not, I guess. Or <laughs> no, actually, personal I mean, preference. I, I kind of really. wish my butt was a little bigger, but I was like, I, I don't have, I, like, I'm like, well, I, you know, I wish I had one of those, yeah, great South American butts. I don't, but um, I have a lot <laughs> of South do? American blood, but but the okay. butt is missing. Yeah. What did you do for the, uh, to win this contest? What was it? I, I just won it. It was my it was company. a raffle or something? No, my company just chose one person out of hundreds of people and it just happened to be me. I don't know why. Okay. Yeah. So you had a, like a four days or something in yeah. Sharma Shake? Yeah, it was something like that. And my husband, my ex-husband and I spent, yeah, four or five days there. I can't remember. What yet. is it like? Is it to- It's probably totally touristy. It's very touristy. Right? Yeah. 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 I... I I didn't really enjoy it so much. <laughs> but okay. We probably also didn't go where you need to go. Who knows? That was a long, yeah. many, many moons ago, Mike. Many, many moons. I, I, was, know, I go. I get I, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so are you why, uh, aisle or window? Oh, mm, I am aisle, but I am now th- rethinking that. I think I might change this lifelong aisle. Yeah. Preference to window. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. That means we can travel together because I'm okay, uh, I'm aisle now. Okay, good. I've always been aisle. Good to know. I, I just like more room. I don't like being crammed up against the wall there. The so that's the thing. I used to think it was more room and that's why I would go for it. But if you sit on the aisle, every time they come by the aisle, they kind of brush up against you and that is right. can be really jarring if you're sleeping. Plus, on most of the planes, if you're on a smaller plane, they the aisle seat has that metal bar that comes under your uh, chair, then the chair in front of you. So you actually have less room to, you know, I don't know if you have to put something or your legs, uh, if you have to keep them not in the aisle, Mike. So I am revising my lifelong aisle preference. Like I said, yeah, I'm going window. I'm going again, I'm going rogue. All right. Changing it up. That's Mm -hmm. right. Shove your daughter on the aisle now. (laughs) Have you ever, other than this, um, mishap with your uh, passport any run-ins with uh, police anywhere have you ever been put in jail or arrested somewhere oh, had to bribe anybody i wish i had a story like that god i did get in trouble for so when i came to italy they said i could drive we were at the questura which is this local office where you get all your documents and you you're made right by the locals local authorities and they told me that I could drive with my U.S. passport. And they didn't just tell me. They told my husband because my Italian at the time when I first got there, obviously, as I mentioned, was not <laughs> not game for the par so or par for the game or whatever that expression is. So I – Par for the course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> You're I, not a golfer. You're not a golfer. I'm not a golfer. Oh, yeah. damn it. I just revealed a – yeah. So um, You know why I learned that? Caddying at Flossmore Country Club oh about God. a mile from your house. That's, That's at, so when I was nuts. 14. You know what? I have to look into you. I bet pe- my people know your people. I'm going to look into you. Well, I wasn't a Work member. Closer. I wasn't a member. I was a caddy. Well, ex- know, I couldn't afford being a member. Especially for that. They, they know all the caddies. They're in love with them. So well, This is a lot. Way before your time. Listen. All right. I'm going to look into you anyway. So, okay. um, so I was told that I could drive and I drove all around for years, for two, three years. And then I get stopped in this town and and I pull out my U.S. driver's license and these guys don't know what to do with me. So they keep me there for a long time. And then I end up, I end up getting the like largest fine you can get for driving around. This came in the mail and then I had to redo driver's ad. I had to do all driver's ad again <laughs> and get an Italian license. So that was, uh, you know, that's, that's the closest run in with the cops that I've gotten, but it, it was, it was unfortunate right. maybe. I don't know. I got, I have my Italian license now. So yeah. <clears throat> Corruption and everything is, I mean, it's legendary of course. Oh in, uh, yeah. In Italy or something. Can you pick out one moment of the last 20 years when you saw Oh my God, that is the most Italian thing oh, <laughs> I've yeah. ever seen happen. Okay, so public could, offices are terrifying in Italy, all throughout Italy. They're probably worse in the South than they are in the North, but they're they're the kind of places that you leave and you want to burn all your clothes and take a really boiling hot shower and just never go back. <laughs> and while I was there once and we we for we were kept trying to get our marriage uh, recognized by the government of Italy and they just wouldn't because we were married in Ernest Hemingway's garden in Key West by a judge. So that was just so something that the Italian authorities could not wrap their head around being true. So I I was a year clandestine (laughs) in Italy during that time. And every time we would have to go to these public offices, 
it was just such a nightmare. And I remember one time we came in and they were sort of just not paying any attention to us and wouldn't help us for a while and kind of had to stand to the side while they were accepting money. I mean, there was a literally a troop of prostitutes that came in with some dude and they were like, here you go. Here's the papers. Here's all the things. And we're like, is this really happening right now? It was so bizarre, <laughs> but it was, it was. And yeah, it worked for them, but it took a year for me. So yeah. Wait a minute. So you married this guy in Key West? Yeah. And uh, not in some, like, my friend who got married in Sicily, some 400-year-old church in Palermo with all his family there? No. I'm surprised. mm And the judge that married How did married you talk up, him into that? Oh, so that was a funny story. So he comes back. We're living in this tiny apartment that I mentioned earlier. And he comes back, and I'm taking a shower. And he comes in, and he says, I just lost my job. And I said, okay, well... All right, fine. Do you want to get married? Because or like not get married. He was asking me to marry him, but I said, "Do you want to get married on our trip to Key West?" And because we we'd been talking about wanting to get married, but this was this chance to do it because I at that time too I was kind of clandestine in Italy as well. So, and then he's like, "Yeah, let's do that." <laughs> so, uh, because I was there, but they hadn't stamped my passport, so I had already been there over three months. It was a little a little less rigorous at that time, and we were going back to the states, so I technically wouldn't have been able to get back in. And, um, oh. yeah, I mean, he, he asked me to marry him after the first time we met and I actually didn't want to get married, but it solved the problem of being in Italy. So I just suggested uh, we could do it at, because I had been speaking on the phone earlier that day with my mom and she said, well, why don't you get married in, in the gardens in Key West? And I said, okay, why not? And then, uh, get, put that idea in his head. And the next thing I know, we were flying across the world to my sister made my dress out of old silk nightgowns. I tried it on the day before. I think like seven people were at my wedding. It was very, it was actually very romantic and simple. Yeah. Yeah. Is that where the five toed cats are or whatever it is? Yeah. There's all the cat. They inherited (laughs) his property. Yeah. Dude's a genius. Mm -hmm. I would just see. I just assumed that uh, that they were just gonna like you would have had this very traditional Italian church wedding, and you know, right no. out of The Godfather. It was very disappointing <laughs> for his Italian, you know, people. But we didn't do that. We did. That's do, what I mean. Uh, I know we did do our anniversary there. We had a big party dinner and slash party for our first year anniversary. So there was that. But we never did get remarried in Italy. So, and the cool thing was it's very hard for you to take your husband's last name. It's almost impossible oh. for you to take your your husband's last name. And for some reason, when we got married in Key West, that wasn't, I kept my last name legally there to, in the US too. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, wow, I'm really glad I still have my last name. But um, at the time I thought, oh, I can't get my husband's last name. And I couldn't, so you couldn't. So, yeah, but it worked out. So the whole time in Italy... <laughs> Really? I mean, so the whole time in Italy, you, you just kept your name? Yeah. All women do. You don't, you do not take your husband's no name kidding. when you get married. No, it becomes a kind of bureaucratic nightmare for the government because, you know, it's a lot harder oh, yeah, after. So women keep their own. Sometimes they'll do like unofficially, I might have been Courtney McDermott in Pauletti. But uh, yeah, but no, I officially, I was always Courtney McDermott. So, yeah. Yeah, no wonder the locals didn't accept it and made you, you know, the corrupt locals. <laughs> That's very funny. There's like, if, now, if you have gotten married in a church there with those, you know, that, that story, would they have been a lot more accepting of your 
marriage, those officials that you had a hard time with? Oh yeah, definitely. It was really the, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the venue. It was it was it was the audacity of <laughs> of getting married first in a garden, second by a judge, and not a representation of of the Pope's Church. Uh, it was all sorts of things. It was mm-hmm. it was uh, blasphemy. <laughs> what about the uh, no? Well, that's one last thing I'll ask you about, like being a woman who's a who works and is a professional. And I know it's not like you know a hundred years ago, but there still is a in a lot of cultures that machismo and feminism didn't hit as hard at a lot of places. Have you run into a lot of that? Tons, like, tons. Abroad? I had at one of my jobs, I won't mention what company this was because this was like an international company, but with an Italian boss. And he he was the main boss, and he actually came up behind my sh- like back and was working and started like massaging my shoulder. So I was like, "This, mm. how is this happening? And what do I do?" <laughs> and oh, then um, creepy. And I've had I've had like my in laws kind of refused to recognize what. So they would always say, "What do you do again? Like what what what's your job?" Or you know, especially when I struck out on my own, it was like I was like, "I'm a I'm a writer." It's not difficult like to remember anything, but I'm I'm a writer. And you know, I go around and I speak to thousands of people. Oh, okay. And then they come back and they'd say, People are asking what you do, but I don't know how to describe it. And I just be like, I am a I'm I'm still <laughs> you know, so <laughs> Yeah. So that was it was very curious, like the but it was good. It, I found that was really good because it's part of what it's not the only reason, but it's part of what's allowed me to not over identify with anything I do. And to not mistake who and what I am for the character that I play. And that, so that's been a a gift in disguise. Did their attitudes change once you had your daughter a little bit? Oh, no, it was even... Oh, she had a baby now. So Yeah, it was even worse. It was like, what what do you... I remember, it was really curious when I first got there, because having gone to the London School of Economics and all this, my, uh, my... father-in-law was really interested in that part of what I had done. And he asked all sorts of questions and he wanted to know whether, because at the time I was actually being offered to do some things for the UN and I turned all that down because I would have had to move. And he was saying, well, how do you, how do you get into that? And is there any way for me to do that and all that? But then in the same breath, he would be telling me that I shouldn't be going to the gym, that I should be at home cooking and cleaning and keeping Uh, house. And this was way before my daughter was even born. So... (laughs) And I'm kind of like, wow, there's a real huge, like, even in your own mind, right, asking me uh, professional advice, and then in the same breath, telling me that I should be home cooking. (laughs) So, but I never really took any of it too seriously. It was all just, it was all just like, well, that's interesting. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. I didn't lose sleep over it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, well, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I I apologize for the first two uh, mishaps earlier it's last good. week. That was really tough. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm glad we could do this finally. And I hope you enjoy your trip here. I'm sorry we didn't get to meet in person. But Next time. Yeah. Thank next you. Time. Thank you so much. Or if much. you make your way, you know, make your way through LA or something, you know, you can yeah. let me know. We'll Perfect. grab a, uh, a cappuccino <laughs> if it's the morning. Okay. If it's, you know. Exactly. Yeah, not after lunch. Or I don't want filthy looks from the waiter again. Not I'm, I'm still lunch. scarred from that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never, never. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it. thank you so much. And um, yeah, hang on. I'll talk to you after this is uh, done recording. But I appreciate you doing this. And 
One more time, the name of the book? The second book is Give Yourself Permission. Okay. And where can people follow you on social media? So my name is Courtney without a U. So it's just C-O-R-T-N-E-Y McDermott. And that's my handle for Instagram and LinkedIn. Pretty active in both of those places. And then my website is C-O-R-T Court. So it's courtinc.com. Yeah. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Courtney McDermott, thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) 